to the Data Skeptic bonus feed, where we release extended content on data science, statistics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. Well, to kick it off, can you state your name and any affiliations you want to share? Well, my name is Bruce Wilcox. I'm currently Director of Natural Language Strategy for JustAnswer.com. I used to be Director of Natural Language Strategy for Core.ai. I'm on the board of directors of several other natural language companies. Excellent. How did you get started taking an interest in chatbots? It was cold in England, and my wife and I were (laughs) living there. And as winter approached, she said, we got to get out of here. And we knew a guy in the games biz who was living in Hawaii and had a company there. And so we tried to sell him a game, which he didn't have any use for because he just sold off his game side. But he said, we're building a virtual world, Blue Mars, and we want avatars to be there all the time. Because the big problem in virtual worlds is there's nobody around to talk to initially. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he wanted, when everybody had left the world for some reason, that their avatars would keep moving around as though they were animated and intelligent and doing the same things. So he was going to hire us to do that. But when we got to Hawaii, it turned out they weren't ready to be able to do anything with their avatars. They didn't work yet. And so I instead proposed, so why don't we, you want them to talk as well, so why not do chat? Mm-hmm. And he said, yes, effectively, after I gave him my proposal. And that's how I got started with Chad. Very neat. Uh, I'd love to hear more about that rollout. Can you maybe describe that virtual environment for people who aren't familiar with it and what some of the objectives were for the bots to be conversing about? So the at the time, the primary virtual world that was successful was Second Life, which was a 2D graphic world. And the goal for... Blue Mars was to be a 3D virtual world, glorious color. Somehow or other, while it was a science fiction world, it seemed to look a lot like Hawaii. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But they wanted the chatbot side of it to be replicants, like from the movie. And so everybody, when they weren't there, their replicant would continue to say the things they would have said if people asked them the questions. that We would data mine all of the conversations they had with real humans when they were online. And then when they were offline, that data would be available to the chatbot per each individual that it's representing. And you could then converse with that person as though they were there and you could see their avatar in the 3D space and their avatar would walk around. And so you wouldn't necessarily know they weren't there. Very interesting. So I wouldn't hold you to the standard of the Turing test in this implementation, because I think we're (laughs) a bit ways off from that. But could you describe the general experience, you know, when I go up to someone's uh, replicant avatar, whom whom I know and interact with them, what's the experience like, you know, in the real world scenario? Well, it never finished. So you wouldn't be able to do that. We did create a chatbot for them to act as a tour guide and stuff in the virtual world. But uh, originally when we were doing this, we were trying to da- going to data mine all of the chats that people had, but they would never have said everything they need to mm-hmm. say. You would ask questions that obviously they wouldn't have answered yet. And so the goal was to simply do a Google search and analyze the data that came back from Google. So if somebody said the question like, what do you like to do on Thursdays? You'd go do a search on, I like to X, 
on Thursdays and see what came back and parse it and see what made sense and then cite that. But then after a short while, Google started blocking those queries mm. and other things started blocking the similar queries for no obvious reason. And so that didn't work. And we switched over to writing fully scripted chatbots, of which the first was Suzette. And Suzette was this tour guide. And Suzette, after mm, a little less than two years of development, won the Loebners. Interesting. So uh, I, there's a number of ways we can take that. It's One thing that's curious to me is how a bot designed to be a tour guide ends up winning a contest of general conversation. I want to get to that too, but um, maybe <laughs> to start with, I'm curious about the tour guide implementation. One thing I've observed is that chatbots, when you give them very specific tasks, they can be pretty good. Um, could you talk about the objectives for you know what you were trying to accomplish with the tour guide? So blue bars consists of a numbers of areas or islands, you might think of them. And you're standing in the central square and you want to know how to get to somewhere. How do I get to the golf course where you can go play virtual golf, for example? Uh, and so you would want her to be locate to have a knowledge of the map space in which this whole world exists, to know where she is on it. And then be able to take her avatar and point and say, go that way or follow me. And she walks over there. Oh, very cool. And does she have a sort of a knowledge base about the environment to share interesting facts and things? Um, she would have if, if again, the problem is Blue Mars gotcha. eventually went down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yes, there was a, a mechanism for, for example, she had the major street map for Oahu. And so you could ask her how to get to the North Shore from where you were. And if you were in reality, as opposed to in Blue Mars, she could oh, have cool. given you that. So we could represent data and she could compute with that data and speak her answers. Well, despite that, uh, you know, game not being a runaway success, it's cool that Suzette still had a second life, if you will, no pun intended. Uh, can you talk about that transition? Was there a lot of work to go from tour guide agent to general, general purpose conversational agent? It was never a transition between the two. In order to create the virtual tour guide, it wasn't just program tour guide functions mm -hmm. and that's the end of it. It was she should be a person in the world, which means she has to have a backstory. She has to have her previous life. In fact, she was a replicant which means she was a manufactured clone, but she didn't know that. She was instead a student at the University of Hawaii. And so that was what her backstory to herself was. And you could ask her about her boyfriend, her friends, where she lived, you know, usual sorts of chat you have with any stranger. And her job was to be able to carry on that conversation as well as be a tour guide. Very cool. So at a high level, chatbots have a very sort of intuitive interface. You give them text, they give you back text. Uh, what goes on internally is the big question mark, right? That all the developers who are working on chatbots have to kind of come up with ideas for. Could you give us some insight into the maybe high level design philosophies or implementation details that went into Suzette? So... Most chatbots that, well, let's distinguish two kinds of chatbots first. One are task-oriented bots, answers questions, FAQ bots, things like Siri, for example, who 
you would not converse with her. You wouldn't have a conversation. You would just give her a request. Where's the nearest pizza joint? And she would come back with, here mm -hmm. it is. And then she'd sit still and idle and nothing would happen until you said something else. So it wasn't a conversation, really. So that's one kind of chatbot, a servant bot of some fl flavor. And the other kind of chatbot is one that actually holds a conversation with you, which means you can start off asking, what do you think about alien invasions? And she'll answer you. And then maybe she'll lead the discussion for a little while, answering your questions, giving her opinions, asking you questions, reacting to your answers, then move on into sports. I mean, this is a random conversation mm -hmm. in general, right? So that's a conversational chatbot, which is quite different from what you'll get sitting around on Facebook Messenger or from Alexa, et cetera. They're all more oriented toward task behavior. Right, right. But Suzette wasn't a task behavior bot. She was a conversational bot. And the Loebners is all about conversation, not about tasks. Yeah, exactly. In, in many ways, a harder challenge. Sure. So in the context of that, machine learning, for example, is pretty much useless for conversation. It's fine for recognizing one sentence at a time and giving you answers to requests, but it doesn't maintain context. It doesn't do pronoun resolution. It doesn't do an understanding of natural language. It does a mapping of patterns of words you use to what it believes the intent is going to be. So in a conversation, you need to be able to understand, and understanding mm -hmm. is a very limited meaning here, uh, a pattern of words that suggests what the user wants. If I say to you, my, your mother does what? You know, that's equivalent to some other question, which is, you know, what is your mother's job? All that kind of stuff. The fundamental meaning there is to find in this database of things we've already written the answers to, sentences to maintain a personality, the answer to the question, what does your mother do? So we write the backstory where we know all of her family members, what they do, how old they are, where they live, how they met, whatever. And that's a sort of a database of answers that are all written to reflect a per certain personality and style of speaking because you're trying to create a character. Mm -hmm. It's like what you would read in a book. The author has complete control over what is said in that book. And in our chatbot, we also have complete control. So then it's a matter of writing ways of recognizing the nature of the user's request, roughly, to say, okay, they want this piece of data, go get it to them and play it out for them. Now, that's that's just the query side of a bot. That's what you'd get in any of these intent-driven, task-oriented bots is recognizing that. But the other side of the fence is to be able to maintain a dialogue with the user. So ChatScript not only does pattern recognition and matching to find what you're asking about, but it also has a dialogue management system to say, okay, you've asked me this question. I should ask you a question in the same category, or I should ask you the same kind of question back. So you ask me what my favorite fruit is. I'll tell you as a chatbot, my favorite fruit is strawberries. I really love the red coloring. What's mm -hmm. your favorite fruit? And now we're waiting for your answer because we've flipped the conversation back to you. You give us an answer and you maybe say lemons and, and we could have a reply for that saying, oh, it's a bit too tart for me. And then you move on. And so a conversational chatbot's goal in some sense is to try and keep control of the conversation as long as possible. 
because that means it can expect what you're about to say and have a perfect answer for it. So I'd love to pick apart your statement that ML is not necessarily useful for conversational agents. Um, you give mm -hmm. one example of pronoun resolution. I think if we took that as the only problem we were trying to solve, maybe <laughs> yes. machine learning solves that. Um, I agree that that's only one small piece of the larger picture of language understanding and knowledge representation. And I also agree that, you know, in some sense, most machine learning is an optimization problem. It's trying to uh, find or, or search for some goal to, you know, that some very formulaic function you want to maximize. And you don't necessarily have that in chat because uh, you wouldn't maximize for responses. Presumably people will continue to talk to you if you don't type gibberish. It's hard to know, you know, how do we evaluate what's a useful improvement? Um, is that the core of why ML is, is probably not uh, an ideal tool for current ch conversational agents? Well, there are, there are a whole collection of problems with ML that, as it relates to mm. that. The first is, is uh, uh, pronoun resolution was one of them. Another is merely that uh, all of the bot frameworks that are being used today, they don't have a full natural language pipeline of behavior, which I'll explain in a moment, because they don't care about the meaning of words. They are taking arbitrary symbols, which is what you provide it with, and trying to map that in some space to pre-designated intentions, what you like the mother and, and job. And so I simply said, if I if I trained a machine learning thing to say, if I give you the word mother and job in any order, uh, spit back this, they want the mother's job <laughs> as the intention, uh -huh. right? Now, that's all well and good for simplified things. But since every word you give it is a unique token to it, it doesn't have any meaning. If you give a word in a different state like dog versus dogs, that's two different words. If you haven't trained it on both words, it doesn't know the distinction. Mm -hmm. If you give it text in all lowercase, well, the Stanford parser goes nuts on all lowercase because it's not expecting the word I in lowercase. It just thinks it's a foreign hmm. word. Um, the spacey parser goes nuts as well in part. Uh, and, and all of the machine learned stuff uh, basically, they have to make things case independent. But case actually has utility when people use it. I mean, granted, when you're on a cell phone, you may just type all lowercase being too lazy to uppercase. But every once in a while, when you want to reference a proper name, you may well go through the trouble of using an mm -hmm. uppercase. And when you do, that's a clue to the person receiving it. Ah, this is a proper name. It's the name of a place or a person or whatever. But in machine learning, they generally have to eradicate case completely. Yeah, interesting. Likewise, machine learning works with only one sentence at a time. If you give it uh, three sentences in a row, it doesn't know what to do with that. It's all one thing as far as it's concerned. Sure. So when you're saying machine learning, I mean, someone could devise a system that combats that, that they've structured it to look, yes. you know, a historical. You could do spelling correction automatically yeah. as well. I'm, but, but on the bot platforms... They provide a platform which does not have these features. And so every individual company creating their bots has to recreate those auxiliary functions from scratch themselves and generally doesn't. Ah, uh, yeah, good point. The, the frameworks kind of discourage it in that sense. I went onto Facebook Messenger a little while back and played with the Weather Underground bot, which I had played with two years ago when they first released their bot mm -hmm. platform. And the bots were awful as far as I was concerned. They just made no sense at all. And, 
Now, two years later, you'd say, okay, if I ask a question like, what's the temperature in Chicago? And I misspell temperature by leaving out the A, it doesn't recognize it. If I ask, is it raining in Seattle? It doesn't recognize that. If I ask, what's the weather this Friday in Chicago? It doesn't recognize that. If I do things perfectly, if I say, what's the weather in Seattle? That works. But if then I go conversational, I say, and Chicago? It doesn't work. It doesn't have any ability to join context. It's all an independent sense at a time. Yeah, makes sense. So we haven't named it formally, but I think we've touched a little bit on your project, ChatScript. Can you tell me a bit about it? Sure. So originally, when I was working for Avatar Reality on their Blue Mars project, I created a language which was for processing natural language and managing dialogue called Chat-L, Chat-L or Chat Language. Um, they had agreed that they would be willing to open source it, and they open sourced the definition of it, but eventually they decided they wouldn't open source mm. the engine itself. At which point in time, I decided, okay, I need a Rev2, which I can freely control because I can't keep writing stuff in something they own. So I wrote a new language, a second version of Chat L in a sense, called Chat Script. And that language I made open source. And so that language is used by a number of companies as the basis for their natural language processing. And it's uh, open source, so any listener can go check it out, maybe use it. It's on GitHub and SourceForge, both. Uh, can you talk about some of the advantages people would get by adopting ChatScript? So ChatScript allows you to write a conversational chatbot because of its dialogue management system, which you don't get with, with, with machine-learned behaviors. It allows mm -hmm. you to... Uh, when you use machine learning on Facebook or whatever, there are two parts to understanding natural language for them. One is determining the intent. So you train mm -hmm. it with a whole bunch of sentences that mean this particular intent, like if you want to say, I want to wash my dog, I want to wash my pet, I want to clean my animal. And you feed all those sentences, eventually it sort of gets a smeary idea of what you're asking for. And that's the intent. And then there's the entities or the data that goes with it. Like If we're going to the Weather Underground bot, it's what's the weather is the intent, tell me about weather. And then Seattle or Chicago or somewhere else is the entity involved, the city. Mm -hmm. Now, for all of those platforms, with r small exception, you don't get to control the entities. They predefine them because they require special programming. They're not something they machine learn. You can do machine learning by telling it, here's a list of pizza toppings. That is, you can give an enumerated set, and you can label the set for it to find in your sentence. And so you can do enumerations. But if you want the date, a city, a bunch of other things, in general, you have to use their predefined, special coded internally things that detect entities. You have no control over your own. In ChatScript, you can write any entity detection you want as a part of the script. And it doesn't come necessarily with entity detection built in. It recognizes words as, this is a month name. But if you want to translate the month name into a date, you have to decide in script how you want to do that. And it varies which language you're in or which country you're in. So ChatScript allows you to completely control both entity and intent recognition. It has gotcha. a built-in spell checker. It has a built-in parse tag parsing world. 
It has sort of a complete representation to allow you to easily detect meaning because the goal of ChatScript is to help you not understand meaning because understanding implies a whole knowledge of the world and what all words mean, et cetera. But you can tell it to find particular meanings. You can program it to say, locate if they ask for your mother's job, locate if they ask when you were born, and you give it scripts to do that. And those scripts are very small. Got it. And what languages uh, do people need to work with in order to adopt ChatScript? Uh, in its nature, ChatScript can work in any language. It has more capabilities mm -hmm. in some languages than others. Right now, it has a pause tagger that is uh, from tree tagger, which is a uh, open source project of a sort, if it requires a commercial license for using it commercially. And they support a ton of languages. So German, French, Italian, Chinese, Catalan, um, you know, <laughs> pick, pick your language. Don't see Japanese in that list, but, but that means you can get a dictionary of words, not what they mean, but just that they are legitimate words, which means spell checking will work because spell checking requires knowledge of what words are legal. And you can match patterns because ChatScript supports UTF-8 patterns in any, any language, and you can write your output text in any language. So you can write a chatbot in anything. It has better support for some languages because of the pause tagging ability, although most people don't use pause tagging in their chatbots. And what is pause tagging? So pause tagging is taking a sentence and breaking it into its parts of speech. What's a noun? What's a verb? What's, an, what's a pronoun? What's a preposition? And knowing uh, the verb conjugations so you'd know what tense the sentence was in. Now, in most of my chatbots, it doesn't really matter for the most part what tense something is in. If somebody says, what food did you like last year? That's, we can give an answer like, what food do you like this year? It's the same thing. It's just, I like mm -hmm. this. <laughs> and you name some food and that's good enough. So it's rare that tense matters. Similarly, if somebody asks whether you have dogs or a dog, plurality doesn't really matter most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so you, can, you write patterns typically that don't depend on the part of speech conjugation at all because you want them to match as much as possible. They've got good information. So I appreciate your point on how robust the system architecture is for working in other spoken languages. What I actually was wondering about is if I wanted to implement my own bot and include ChatScript, what are my languages in terms of like Python, C++, Lua? Ah, okay. <laughs> so you're talking from a programmer's point of view, not a, not a human's point of view, because the programmers are not human. <laughs> so... Uh, ChatScript is a web server. That means you can interact with it. It, it also runs locally, but, but it can be on the web. So you can interact with it from any, any programming language you want, sending it data to the server. Nice. So it doesn't matter there. You can also embed it directly in a C++ program. People have written wrappers for Unity and Python and other stuff. So you can hook it onto anything, really. Yeah, and I would imagine a, a new wrapper, if you wanted to write one, would be pretty trivial if it's a good server with the documentation and all that. Are there any places online people can interact with servers like that and experience the chat system that's uh, either ones you've built or people who have used your framework to build their own? 
So on our brilligunderstanding.com website is a sample chatbot Rose, which is a multi Globner winner. So you can you can play with her. There are um, in general not a lot of conversational chatbots out there. Once upon a time uh, on Android and iOS and on Facebook, you could interact with Talking Angela, which was a chatbot we wrote for a company. And that had over 60 million downloads. And it may still be available in some fashion. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, the companies that use ChatScript uh, have apps. Uh, Your MD is a medical symptom diagnosis company, uh, which uses ChatScript in several ways. Uh, Core.ai is an enterprise bot platform, uh, which anybody can get a guest account on and play with the, the bots that are there. One of the unique differences, again, of using ChatScript as opposed to machine learning is when you have a bot platform like Facebook Messenger or Alexa, you have to tell it what bot you want to talk to or what skill you want to use. So you'd say something like, Alexa, in name some skill, and then you give it the information you want to pass to the skill. And you in Facebook, you go and do a search for a bot. You then bring the bot up and you say, okay, now I'm going to talk to you. And that's uh, extremely limiting, first, because you keep having to say, have this bot channel opened all the time, mm-hmm. and you have to go reopen it. And you have a search problem because you don't know the names of the bots in advance, so you have to go search for them. It's like having, I want an app that will do, get me the weather, but what app do I want? And you have to go search for it. So in Core's platform, there is one master bot called Cora, and Everybody can build hundreds of other bots, but Cora can figure out from what you say what bots can solve your question. So if you walk into Cora and you say, what's the weather in Seattle? She can locate an appropriate bot automatically Mm -hmm. because the bot's intentions are all in English fundamental meaning. That is, they're not natural. They're not machine learned stuff. She takes what you say and finds out the, the fundamental meaning. What's the minimal set of words necessary to ask what you're asking? Finds those in bots that are on the, on the system and says, okay. Uh, and if you've never used any of the bots before, you could say, okay. She'll say, do you want uh, weather under other ground or AccuWeather as your answering bot? Mm-hmm. Because you have to install a bot and get, you know, so you you say uh, uh, weather underground. And then so it installs weather underground for you. And now that's your default weather bot. Unless you request some other bot, every time you ask the weather, you'll get that. If you say, book me a trip to Seattle, and what's the weather there today? That, in one sentence, is two separate bot requests going to two different bots. Ah, interesting. And it takes care of sort of the routing and management of that then, I presume. Correct. Very cool. So I'd love to move along and talk a bit about Loebner. Maybe to open up that discussion, can you tell me about your history with the competition? (laughs) Well, the competition is based on Hugh Loebner's desire to create a a Turing test capability. And he's a very colorful character. He's now dead, but he used to always wear loud Hawaiian shirts. And he was... uh, supporting legal advocacy for prostitutes. And he was just an extremely eccentric guy himself. Mm -hmm. 
And so he created this competition, um, which initially was very tightly bound in, in about over a decade ago, where you'd have five minutes talking in two text screens with the judge, who's a human being, trying to talk on one screen to a computer program and on the other to a human. And he doesn't know which is which, and his job is to figure out which is which. Mm-hmm. And originally, the restrictions were, well, you can only talk in this subject. <laughs> Over time, those restrictions have gotten loosened. And so now there are no restrictions on what the judge can talk about or say. And there's no, and there's about 25 minutes to spend doing this discussion. And so when I first entered the Loebners back in 2010 with Suzette, uh, there are always things that go wrong in the tournament, hardware issues, software issues, whatever. Uh, And in the first round, and it was a four-round thing. Well, first, there are two parts to the Loebner competition. One is qualifying. You have to be in the top four on a qualifying test. And then you get to be in the actual tournament with the humans. So qualifications at the time were things like uh, asking you, what time is it? Or if John is taller than Sue and Sue is taller than George, who is the Hmm. shortest? (laughs) Or my friend Harry likes to play golf, and then later on in the conversation, uh, who likes to uh-huh. play golf? <laughs> Tests of memory and snippets of understanding. So this was something that ChatScript was very adept at, and so ChatScript was for years the top qualifier always, the, the Rosebot or its equivalent. And so when we got to the actual tournament in round one, Something went wrong, and I don't know what it was, so that after a few volleys back and forth with the judge, all the bot could do was echo what the bot, what hmm. the judge said. That's all it could do, and I have no idea how, because I didn't write code to do that. But anyway, that, that was a, clearly a disastrous round and meant we were really in deep trouble. And in round two, we had a really nice conversation with the judge, sort of what you said, that would be a good conversation. And around three, we got the judge <laughs> from hell. The judge from hell was a computer science professor. And he was, this was in the year of the California gubernatorial election with Meg Whitman and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so he wanted to know who Suzette was voting <laughs> for in the election. Now, I hadn't planned on that. I hadn't even been really fully conscious of it. And when she didn't, when she ducked the question and sort of evaded it, uh, he kept coming back. He'd repeat the question. He'd restate the question. That's all he would do Uh was just that. And so you'd say, well, that's going to be a real problem because we're not getting anywhere in this conversation. But there were two things that mitigate against that. One is that we had created an emotion chip. I'd like data and from Star Trek. And so it detected that he was repeating himself, asking the same thing over and over and over. And she kept asking him <laughs> to stop it because she was getting bored. She was getting angry. She was getting <laughs> frustrated. And she was getting to the point in time in which she would have just hung up and then would have ended the conversation entirely. Fortunately, we ran out of time before that took effect. But she was very emotional about his uh-huh. absurd behavior. Now, at the same time, well, we didn't know this, 
humans who were acting as the Confederates, who were trying to pretend to be human, were computer science students at the university. And they were deciding they were going to have a who is the least human human <laughs> contest. So that meant that they would try and obfuscate and waffle and answer the questions, but not anyway, but obliquely. And so there were references to Terminator as, as, as the candidate. Right. Which, of course, was Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and eBay. And, 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 and so they were not being at all straightforward. But they were you know, perfectly happy doing that. They just went along and did all that. And at the end, the judge got confused trying to figure out, so uh, which one of these is the human? And, and the one that got emotional and upset with him was obviously the human. Oh, interesting. So he voted for Suzette. And in the contest, normally the contest is one of uh, whoever gets the best chat will be voted as the winner, but no winner will not be. No one will think it was the it was a human at right. the time. So if anyone ever fools a judge, that's an instant win. You don't have to win on points anymore. You just won instantly. Sure. So we had an instant win. <laughs> From the judge who was trying to be stupid because he was cutting and pasting and being lazy all the time and doing it to both sides, both human and chatbot. And we reacted emotionally to it and, and the, the human side didn't. Very interesting. Um, and it seems like that emotional aspect, tell me about the development of that. Did you anticipate situations like this or was it created for just a more general purpose inclusion? It was created more generally as a part of uh, – Suzette in the context of Blue Mars, because we know uh, from previous playing around with humans talking to chatbots that generally they do three things. One is they're normal human beings, reasonable, trying to do something. Two is they will try and hit on any female character <laughs> and have sex with her. And three is they will swear and get angry. And see whether that disturbs the chatbot. So there's a lot of this behavior of playing with a chatbot. And so because of that, we created the emotion chip to react to that, which uh, both means that we're more realistic, but also gives these people an entertainment value. They're getting a reaction. They're getting what they want. Wow. She really noticed when I swore at her. She got upset with me. She got angry at me. She and, and the really funny thing was, of course, when you would hit on her and she would warn you, if you don't stop that, I'm going <laughs> to hang up. And they didn't believe it. And then they took her past the threshold and she did hang up. And then they'd try and sneak back in under some mm -hmm. other name because this is just open public. But she's tracking their IP address. And so she knows it's still them and she still has a blacklist on them for the next five minutes. And then they'd go, oh, my God, I didn't realize you were and, – and they'd apologize and they would <laughs> – Very clever. Are there any things – So it was just general capability accidentally there. Yeah. So you participated for many years. Are there any things you learned from the contest itself that demanded improvements for future iterations? So – it was a design philosophy in Suzette from the beginning that we would try and understand and deal with the ways humans say things, which is not the same thing as machine learning does things. And so that means there are uh, classic 
both idioms that people use and structures of grammar that people use. For example, if I say, uh, I like pizza, comma, do you, question mark? That's a tag phrase. That's a tag sentence in, in, in formal discussion. And that's a, I give you a statement and I give you a question, which is asking you about the same data that I just gave you the statement. Mm-hmm. So we would write script that would detect and process tag questions appropriately. Gotcha. Pronoun resolution, of course, is another area. But there's lots of these little idiomatic things. There's a whole topic with lots and lots of rules to detect favorites. Because in conversation with humans, people have an extraordinary volume of asking, what's your favorite X? What, do you, what, what ballet do you like the most once we get into the music category or, or whatever? And so being able to accurately detect all the, the many ways that people could ask about favorites and have tables that are easy to fill in of, okay, this is a favorite table. If they ask about your favorite sushi, that's this. If they ask about your favorite Japanese city, that's this. And you just build a table mm-hmm. of that stuff. That covers a fair amount of ground. Makes sense. So I think um, a lot of what we've discussed are really excellent observations in the design of a chat of a generalized conversational chatbot. Yet for me, I'm not sure that more methodology and techniques will scale to artificial general intelligence and a passing of the Turing test. Would you agree? Do you think that something else needs to happen? None of the technology currently on the horizon is going to get you artificial general intelligence. Mm-hmm. So yes, something more is definitely needed. Um, and some of the characteristics of that are clear and we don't know how to do them yet. And some of them are not clear. If you say that right now we're on the verge of having self-driving cars and that's really cool. And at the same time, you know, it's only because it's the way it works is it simply takes a snapshot of the environment and matches that to its memory database of how to do things and says, oh, well, I better turn left at this point in time, or I better slow down at this point in time. And it's always moment by moment. There is no planning and look ahead involved. It's not, oh, there is a car down the road and around the curve that I can see from here that's an accident. I better slow down now in Mm -hmm. preparation for that. It's when it gets to there and sees it directly, then it will react to it, but it can't be trained for planning ahead. Or or the notion of overriding, for example, you're going to have this, this thing which drives your car safely, right? That means within certain speeds and certain safety mm-hmm. volume where you're not going to kill yourself by accident. Now, suppose you're driving down Mauna Kea in Hawaii and the volcano erupts and lava is pouring down. Now, it probably hasn't <laughs> been trained for seeing lob- lava behind it. And you really want this thing to go fast. And I don't really care about the boundary safety conditions so much here because yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge risk from the rear right now. So go down 90 miles an hour down this curvy road, please. And, and I pray you make it because I know yeah. I'm not going to make it otherwise. You can't do that. You can't give it guidance criteria about how it should make its decisions and have it flip between different states of safe state, sensible driving, race car driving, etc. They don't have that yeah. mechanism at the moment in training. So planning and look ahead, the way humans can reason about things is not what these things do. Now, there's a separate AI area of planning and look ahead, which can do reasoning, and you'd like to be able to coordinate them. But AlphaGo was not 
doing planning. Right. AlphaGo was moment by moment plus a huge amount of look ahead to prove it was safe. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the next move, okay, it's an entirely new move now. <laughs> it has nothing to do with what we were trying to do a moment ago. It's just, it's an entirely new board. Here we are. Mm -hmm. Look at the pattern matches. Do all the look ahead. So when you were okay, pick a move. Yeah, that's a great point. There is a big delta there. Humans don't do that. So when you were describing some of the ways you could create uh, those ideas and formalize knowledge into ChatScript, it sounded to me as though someone who wasn't a programmer could do some interactions there. I'm wondering if you would agree with that. And if so, you know, do you see that that's the direction conversational agents will go in the future, that will have less programmers and more designers creating them? So typically... Well, first off, the first um, commercial chatbot we ever did was for English as a second language in Japan for a company. And they wanted a personality that the Japanese students could interact with in American, effectively, chatbot. Um, and so we wrote them that, which is the skeleton of how it works, plus filling in a bunch of topics. And after that, they could fill in any other topic and add any data they wanted. They could write the rest of the scripts because... Once you've got the basics built for how to do the chatbot, the rest is relatively straightforward. And mostly it's going to be, what do you want to say when they say this? Sure. And so that, that anybody can do that. So normally, uh, ChatScript itself has a, is a programming language with a heavy-duty learning curve. And English language understanding is a technical skill as well. Uh, you don't have guys off the street who understand English perfectly well know what the root forms of a word are or what the conjugation of these things is necessarily. And it turns out that programmers generally are not very good at writing patterns to figuring out what are the ways people could ask this question. If you tell them program it to handle this particular way, they can do that. But if you say, think of the ways people will ask, when do you wash your car? And there's mm -hmm. a lot of ways to ask that question. Yeah. So programmers are not generally that good at being both linguistically inclined and programming <laughs> inclined. So we normally would recommend that you have, much as for writing applications nowadays, you have the web pr backend programmers, you've got the front-end programmers, you've got the GUI programmers, uh, and you've got web designers and arts people, all of these are needed to create the final product. Mm -hmm. So to create a chatbot, it's similar. You need somebody who's good with the language, and we'll say English for the moment, but it could be any language, and somebody who's good with the programming skill. And then you may want the graphics and other things, or if it's just pure text-based, it doesn't matter. Um, but those are different heads. And so typically, we'd have a, an engineering head as the programming side, and then somebody from either an English major or journalism, or marketing, those guys all manipulate language on a daily basis, and so they can think of the ways that things can be said. Yeah, it makes sense. So at Just Answer, we have scripters, um, and, one, and these scripters write what they want the bot to do, and they write the things they want it to say under what conditions, but they're writing it in English, what these conditions are. <laughs> you know, when we know this and we have this, then save this. <laughs> and then the programmer says, okay, that's what you want. That's my guideline. I'll now go create that in ChatScript. 
And then, of course, you have the awful problem of QA. Well, you can do some unit tests. ChatScript has some unit tests built in to say, does the pattern you wrote match the input you wanted it to match? Because you give sample inputs to it as a part of the description of what you want, and then it can just prove that you could get there. It's not all inputs, and and it's it's freeform. It's like when you have a game, can you t generate all the conditions the game will show up in? Well, English language is worse. So you, ha you have people who are beating on it in various forms of English trying to break it. Uh, but it's, you know, you're never going to cover it all. But at least there is a distinction again between a chat script bot and a machine learned bot. When the machine bot gets it wrong, you can't predict that it's going to get it wrong. You can't know why it gets it wrong. And you can't be sure that you can give it an input that will make it get it right in the future. Because you don't know what's happening behind the training. One of the entertaining examples that I have yeah, of that definitely. is... Uh, we have machine. We, we combine machine learning and, and chat script processing, and machine learning gives its idea of intents, and chat script is controlling. Do I believe you at this point in time or not? <laughs> so it makes judgment calls about whether or not we should trust what machine mm -hmm. learning is saying in the moment. And we're in the middle of using machine learning to do, to do legal classification. That is, is this a family law or immigration or? pick some area of the law and say, is this question in that area? And the system came back when we answered, when somebody was asked a question as a user, uh, what state is this in? And the user answered KY period, which is Kentucky. And that came back with a high probability of being in the family category. Now, well, I mean, it's, it's similar in machine learning because in machine, other machine learning, any of these things, if you train it on a sentence like, I like rabbits, initially, if, if you only give it one sentence, it will say, you know, the, any of these words are enough to trigger this sentence. If you mm -hmm. write I, that means this. Same thing, right? Any word will do in any order, any number of those words. And it's only after hmm. you add enough sentences that you can get it to exclude and find what are the actual critical elements. So I imagine what happened in the family law training was you get a bunch of sentences and, and easily it takes a, a thousand sentences per intention to train. And none of them really had Kentucky in them, <laughs> except one had Kentucky in the family category, but it didn't show up in any of the others because who was going to name the state in every single input? And so Kentucky became a unique word in family machine learning memory saying, Ah, when I see Kentucky, it's the only place it's ever happened. <laughs> Similarly for tree tagger, when you when it's trained on German <laughs> pause tag words, Germans have a have words for uh, the first through the thirty first as place numbers uh -huh. in, a, in the days of the month, and the vocabulary set is lacking two of them. They must never have happened in the training set. Nothing ever happened on those dates. Yeah, yeah. So you can't predict what's going wrong, but with ChatScript, when it goes wrong, you know why ChatScript failed. You know what your, where your error and your pattern is, and you can just go fix it. You know you can prove it works. Uh -huh. Makes sense. Well, then maybe to wrap up, tell me a little bit about uh, your company and uh, if the, what the services are. Maybe someone listening would benefit from uh, talking to you guys. Sure. So Brillig Understanding is uh, our arm for supporting 
people who want to create interesting chatbots, interesting either because of the technical things they need to do or because of the characters that they want to create. We combine both the authoring and writing service of generating a character, which is uniquely interesting in some fashion. Talking Angela was an 18-year-old female cat enamored of fashion, for example. Um, but we've also written a genie trapped in a watch, smartwatch. <laughs> so and she wants to get out, but she can't. And you should keep begging you to help her. But meanwhile, she has to do the smart things for you <laughs> that you ask her to. And she's limited in her power. She can't do everything. But you get to interact with characters, fairy tale characters, their backstory, what their life is like, whatever. So we do character creation on one side of the fence. And then we do implementations or consulting guidance on the other side of the fence. And typically, we get a lot of what we call woodwork. Somebody comes to us and says, we need an X. Can you do that for us? Mm -hmm. And we generally are kind of busy, so we typically can't, but it depend, depends on the nature of the X. Uh, but we also have a collection of other small companies that use ChatScript that we can forward the request to that's appropriate, mm -hmm. and we support them. So uh, big companies have come to us. We've forwarded them over to some other company of ours that's in our little consortium, and then we make sure that they can do the best they can because you know we know how to use ChatScript perfectly, and, and other people are just somewhat less. And we can also modify ChatScript on demand. You know, we need a new feature. Okay, fine. Programmed in, publicly released. Here it is. Cool. 